0: 2473. On the air since 1994, the Garden Wise Guys have the answers to your questions about gardening in the high-altitude desert of the Colorado Front Range. And now, here are your hosts, the Garden Wise Guys.
1: 10, indeed it is. And uh, I should say, since this is the first show of the new year, a happy new year to everybody out there. I hope the Last year proved, well, at least good enough for you. Let's hope that the new year brings a, something a little bit better than, than the last year on many fronts. All right, we're going to do a garden show here this morning. The way this operates is that <clears throat> I will send out a phone number for you to call in at 303-477-2473. <clears throat> and you'll use that number to get in here and ask me a garden question. I'm Jim Borland, one of the Garden Wise guys. And uh, Keith Funk is on hiatus right now. I'm not sure what part of the world he is in, but I don't think he, uh, he may be home. I'm just not sure. We haven't, we haven't talked to each other for almost a month now. So he'll be coming back with his own stories next week when both of us will be here taking your garden questions. Okay. What should we start off with here this morning? Lots of things have happened over the past couple of weeks since we've been gone. A giant fire up in Boulder. Uh, which on the plant front brings up some interesting questions that we might get into a little bit later on, but uh, and also I should say you prepare yourselves for the top of the hour of eight o'clock when our good friend Patty Yodi from the Denver Botanic Gardens will be calling in with a well, it's probably not unique, but uh, the uh, the Rock Garden Society of the United States. Uh, let's see, that goes uh, the North American. Uh, It's called NARGS. That stands for the North American Rock Garden Society. That's it. And this, of course, is the Colorado chapter of SAME. And anyway, who's going to be calling in and talking about a Zoom meeting that's going to be coming up where they're going to have, I think, um, six speakers from all over the country, and I think Canada as well, talking about... Cactus and succulents <clears throat> in the rock garden from various parts of the United States. I think it goes far south as Georgia, um, back east, and of course here in Colorado, and um, someplace I think, in western Canada. We'll have, will they, they'll be having speakers talking about uh, how they do rock gardens in those various areas of the country. And uh, we'll see how that goes, and uh, we'll be talking about that. And there'll be a little, con- little bit of a contest right after uh, Pan Eody leaves the air after 8 o'clock, after he talks about this new Zoom meeting that's coming up. So prepare yourself for that. Um, let's see, what else is going on here today? <clears throat> if, uh, if the show had, if we had been here over the past couple of weeks, instead of, you know, taking time off of the various holidays... I would have been talking about winter watering. That's kind of a moot point at this point, because I think most of the ground, certainly around my house, is frozen and uh, wouldn't be doing a whole lot of good winter watering. Although we do have some warm uh, temperatures coming up over the next week, and that'll vary, of course, as it usually does here during the months of January, February, and March. Um, And should there be an opportunity to do some winter watering, we'll try to stay on top of that and tell you that Now is the time to do that because we are in severe drought in the front half of the the state. Uh, Although, I do have some numbers here about snowpack in the various parts of the state. Statewide, as of, I think of Thursday of last week, uh, the statewide uh, snow level was 122% of average. So we're in good shape there as far as snow is concerned. Um, The highest average snow depth is in the Gunnison River Basin. And there they are looking at 150% of average. And that is in the part the uh, part of the state that over the past couple of years has been really very, very dry, severe drought. Well, they are ahead of us now. We are in severe drought here in the Platte River Valley, and uh, I think it's the Arkansas Valley as well. Of course, that will change once the snow all melts, but, but for now, we're in the drought. That means that grasslands, and uh, especially grasslands the lower elevation, are once the snow melts, uh, they're going to be back in that dry condition, I suspect, and we're going to have to watch out for fire danger uh, once again and this is where winter watering comes into into effect. Um, let's see. Number of things on the <clears throat> on the cat on the uh, on the agenda this morning we I'll mention them as as the as the hour moves along, but right now I'd like to take your phone calls about your garden questions. It may have come up over the past I think it's been about 3 weeks now at the following number 303 477 2473. And right now, we have Jeff in Arvada that has called. Why don't we bring Jeff up here, Sean, and uh, let's see what he has to say. Jeff, are you there?
2: Yes, I'm here.
1: And what would you like to talk about this morning?
2: Well, I wondered if there's a way for the average guy to measure the amount of moisture in a snowfall.
1: Yes, you can do that. You can do it the way the professionals do it. Uh, after a snowfall, they uh, of course measure the amount of, or measure the depth of the snow. That's that's one number. The other number is uh, how much water that is, and they take that depth of snow, uh, a certain volume of it, by the way, and they melt it, and then measure the water content of it.
2: Okay, it's what pretty is, pretty simple thing. What is that volume? Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you have to do a little bit of math here, but. Uh, uh let's see how would i do that um you one of if you're measuring even even precipitation in your yard um and the, well they they do make devices that you can stick out in your yard and, and it'll measure that but if you notice those devices if you ever seen one of them they are typically are many of them are in a in a inverted pyramid a uh, <clears throat> what's the word i'm looking for here Um, it's, it's, it's a device that is calibrated such that the opening at the top is much larger than it is, than, than the bottom diameter of these devices. Right. Um,
2: I, I, um, I have an official rain gauge that the state uses for (coughs) measuring rainfall.
1: Oh, okay. And and
2: it's got a, a funnel on the top and that runs to a center tube. Yes. That's. Um, knocked off in increments of one hundredth of an inch. Yeah. The center tube is completely full. That's one inch. If it overflows, then you have to dump the center tube yes. out and, and fill it to measure it. Yes. And But I don't leave that up in the winter because if that center tube, if we get snow, it melts, and then the center tube has water in it, and it freezes solid, it'll break that center tube.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, I think the proper way would be to, once that fills up the whatever level it is after the snowfall if you can dump that out and into what hmm you would need to know what the volume is of your measuring device and so
2: if i took that uh, rain gauge and flipped it over because the funnel like you said it's a lot larger on top yeah yeah and and flip Mm -hmm. it over shove it down into the snow all the way to the bottom of the snow, slide a piece of paper, whatever, underneath it, and pick it all up, Yeah. then that would be an accurate measurement of how much moisture, how much water there is, whether it's six inches or a foot or whatever. Yeah,
1: in, in a perfect world, if you could take that measuring device and bring it inside and heat it up. Or just let it melt, or we'll let it melt. Yeah, either one. There, there will be some evaporation or an, and sublimation because you know, uh, snow evaporates. Also, it right. doesn't all melt. It some of it just goes into the atmosphere from solid to gas right away. Um, but anyway, yeah, if you could melt that in the container, in which you're measuring the snow and see what the what the uh, the level is after that, that will give you the the amount of water there is. in that snow
2: i well i in the past before i took the rain gauge down there has it has happened that it snowed that funnel filled up with snow um it was warm enough i wasn't worried about the center tube cracking and the numbers i was getting were i thought outrageous i mean (laughs) like like six-tenths of an inch of moisture from three inches of snow, and uh-huh. it's like that's not possible. Or it could be in a in a spring type snowstorm, I suppose. But well, the, I just
1: didn't trust that number. Well, the the usual thing that people will say is that ten inches of snow equals one inch of uh, of uh, water. Right. Uh, that that varies depending on on how fluffy the snow is sure and some people say no it's 12 inches to one inch of water well you know we're we're talking ballpark here but uh i think as we already described if if you can melt that snow down into this in the same container in which it collected the snow it would give you the amount of of water there is in that snow yeah
2: okay okay
1: so if you if it if it filled up in 10 inches uh, deep in your in your snow collecting device, and it melted down, and it equaled one inch. That then we got one inch of moisture.
2: Right. right. Okay. I mean that. I just didn't trust those numbers that I, well, that I was seeing.
1: A, a, as you might expect, sometimes our snow is not fluffy. Although we're known for that. But sometimes it comes down to this very wet snow, or as the weathermen love to say, it's a heavy wet snow. Right. I don't know that you can have one without the other, but in any event, uh, that is much more compact snow, and it don't, won't take nearly as much snow depth to equal, let's say, one inch of water.
2: Right. Well, and, and if I still have the rain gauge up on the post that I have it on,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, if you get a bunch of snow, <laughs> of course, the puddle fills up and then snow piles on top of that but it's not going to go perfectly nice straight up and not part of it being blown off the top so again to me it was just this is terribly inaccurate yeah so take it down shove it into (laughs) snow on the ground and then i've got all six inches or whatever crammed in there
1: yeah i i think that would be pretty close to being accurate as well okay. i i think the snow measuring devices that uh the fourth or the uh, weather service use is a much larger much much bigger diameter device uh, so that you don't run into that problem of snow piling up on let's say on the lip of the of the container that you have right
2: right okay which you okay. know it's
1: going to throw things off but
2: right well and i mean i don't have to be down to a hundredth of an inch accurate. Sure, and I would like some idea because some of our snow that we've already had it melted, and it's like, well, no, it didn't melt; it evaporated because <laughs> yeah. the dirt underneath is still dry. There yeah. was no moisture there. Yeah, exactly.
1: Which is a which is a feature of snow that most people don't don't consider. Um, there is a lot of evaporation uh, just straight from. Uh, snow is a solid material, and evaporates straight from the solid into a gas. We're we're usually th- used to thinking of uh, uh, cold things melting first before you before they become water, but right. you know, a lot of it's lost.
2: Well, that's why Keith always says snow doesn't count when you're talking rain or moisture well I,
1: yeah i I've made the the comment here before I think that we would be better off perhaps as gardeners is thinking that we don't we don't get any rain from the or rain or snow from the sky at all, and we have to apply everything that the plants will need We'd be closer to providing what plants need rather than guessing uh, how much water came out of that snowfall
2: right, and that's what I'm trying to yeah not do i don't want to have to
1: guess (laughs) i I know but i think it takes a different measuring device okay Um,
2: okay but still that you uh, it sounds like the idea i had actually is uh, somewhat viable yeah
1: Yeah. i and and i would be surprised in this day and age that somewhere on the internet somewhere there's got to be a website that tells you how much moisture we got out of the last snowfall yeah, you would think. Yeah. You would think. I've not, not run g- yeah, I've not run across it myself, but I haven't looked that hard either.
2: And I mean I can go out and buy their measuring device, but yep. in, not only being the average guy that wants to figure it out, I'm the cheap average guy <laughs> that doesn't want to spend the money for that. Oh, I just
1: now I have heard tell that uh, good weather measuring devices uh, that that measures snowfall and how much water that is, they work automatically. That after a snowfall, uh, I, I don't know how this works. But uh, there's a heating device in there that then goes ahead and melts it, and then measures the the, uh, the depth of the water. And uh, I guess after they do that, then it all drains out, mm-hmm. and that that can be done automatically these days.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that sounds real expensive. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so n- never mind. Yeah, and I
1: th- and I think as part of um, uh, of of their. Major or their weather stations that are you know out in the middle of nowhere, right? They don't go out there and visit every day, right?
2: Right, right on top of a mountain or wherever. Although, there is a group,
1: uh, somehow associated with the weather service that does go out various times in the winter. With a measuring stick, right. and uh, they stick it yeah. in the ground.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> and, I, I've seen them, but obviously they can't do that everywhere.
1: So. No, they can't. I, but I think at the time they do that, they do take samples and then melt that down to figure out what the, how much moisture there was in right. that.
2: Right. Okay, well, good enough. Um, thank you for your help, and now well, sure. I have a pretty good idea what to do.
1: Well, so we can expect you to call in every week with those kind of measurements then, Right
2: darn straight okay when i got my official rain gauge from the state it said you can become part of the network yes and all you have to do anytime get rain call in and we suggest it was either six or seven o'clock in the morning and i was like (laughs) that that ain't that ain't that ain't my playbook
1: (laughs) and it takes a little little bit of experience to figure out how how to read those devices Right. Yeah, you know, even the the simple cylinder out in the yard, uh, you have to know how to read. You do you read the top or the bottom of the meniscus. Now we've well, just introduced it, another it, word.
2: It's it's concave. It's like yeah. now you read the bottom of that's it. That's exactly so. right. Which, yeah, that's
1: that's high school chemistry there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, good enough. That All right, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate okay.
1: it. You bet. Bye. All right, there's Jeff, uh, but a little discussion on how we measure water content of snow. And there're various various ways of doing it, but it's, it all comes down. It's a pretty simple thing. You just melt the snow and then measure the amount of water. Uh, but you can't take that cylinder that we have out in our yard and dump it into a pan and measure it, because now we're dealing with different um, different volumes and different heights and so forth. And that just now we have to start doing an awful lot of math. And it can be done, but um, we don't do that at home. We let other people do that all right if you have another garden uh, another garden question or a question that's related to gardening you know, like give us a call here at 303-477-2473 and we will discuss same and that uh, kind of dovetails into the winter watering kind of a thing um, <clears throat> and speaking of which every every week we lose water to the atmosphere, no matter how cold it is, and that is measured, and I have that written down here somewhere, oh dear, what did I, That's, oh it's the ET, evaporation transpiration, measured at DIA, the airport, over the past week, .21 inches were lost. Uh, during one of those days, apparently it was cold enough that we didn't lose any moisture to the atmosphere. But over the past week, it's been uh, about <clears throat> almost a quarter of an inch has been lost. Now, in the summertime, we would then tell you you should then water your, your lawn and your other plants in your landscape a quarter of an inch to bring that back up to uh, zero, which is uh, what we're trying to aim at here. Unless you're growing another set of plants all together. And having mentioned that, let me say that there are there is a group of plants out there. <coughs> that don't require any irrigation at all they can live on what mother nature provides them from the sky and that's all they need i have a front yard that's filled with plants like that it has not been watered uh... by the hose or an irrigation system in twenty five years and uh... it's doing just fine there are trees out there there are shrubs lots of shrubs out there lots of perennials and other kinds of things and annuals that come up every year and uh, they look just grand and glorious over the summertime. So if you need to or want to consider transforming part of your yard or your entire yard to a no water landscape why give us a call here and we can discuss that right here on this station that we like to call Legends 810.
3: Many of us in Colorado start our spring gardens indoors during the winter months. But instead of using plastic six packs, choose an eco friendly alternative with botanical interest recycled paper pots. Made from 100% recycled food grade paperboard, these paper pots are super simple to use. Just pop them open fill with soil and seed and when you're ready to transplant out in your garden, tear the perforated bottom away and place directly in the ground. No root disturbance and no transplant stress. The paper pot biodegrades right in the garden bed for a zero waste solution to seed starting. They also provide a convenient way to share your seedlings with friends and other gardeners. They come in three sizes and you can find them at garden centers across the country and online at botanicalinterest.com.
0: It's time to fall in love all over again. Valentine's Day is Monday, February 14th. At Lafayette Florist Gift Shop and Garden Center, we deliver romance. Surprise her at work on Friday and impress her co-workers. Or start the weekend off with a special delivery at home for the weekend celebration. We have just the thing to take her breath away. Send beautiful roses and shades of red and pink or a colorful spring mix of garden flowers. It's easy to give a gift of nature. Order online at www.lafayetteflorist.com and see all of our Valentine's specials. Call us and speak with one of our floral specialists or stop by. We're open daily. Spread the love. Don't forget a friendly bouquet for Valentine's Day or a special floral hug for your mom and something for him. Choose a masculine floral bouquet or a houseplant for his desk. Guys love flowers too. Lafayette Florist is your one-stop Valentine's Day shop. Add a finishing touch with balloons, plush bears, and gourmet chocolates. We deliver next door and all around the world. Order now to reserve your Valentine's Day flowers. Lafayette Florist Gift Shop and Garden Center, located at 600 South Public Road in the heart of Lafayette. Contact us at 303-665-5555 or www.lafayetteflorist.com and we'll help you express your love. Happiness guaranteed. And we are
1: back here taking your garden questions on Legends 810, the Garden Wise Show with the Garden Wise guys. I'm Jim Borland, one of those guys, and the other one, Keith Funk, has decided to take the week off. I guess that he's now taken three weeks off. He's going to have to be retrained when he comes back here. Sheepers creepers. One way of introducing a number of topics, uh, any of which can be discussed, is, uh, let me give the phone number here first, 303-477-2473. Over on our Facebook page, we now have about three weeks worth of stuff that's been posted on there that some of which I, th- I think is rather interesting. One is that uh, because of our warm weather throughout an awful lot of fall and part of our winter, true winter here, is uh, manzanitas. This is one of those evergreen broadleaf plants, only a few of which you will find in the landscape anywhere. but. Uh, the manzanitas in my yard are blooming right now as we speak and that is early they oftentimes are really early spring bloomers anyway but uh, they decided to bloom a little early this year so they are blooming Uh, another item on the Facebook page and it I'm continuously amazed at what's going on in the tropical hibiscus world now, I think we're all familiar with what a tropical hibiscus is. Typically, I'm familiar with them when I was much, much younger as being either red or yellow and maybe a white that might sneak in there somewhere. Well, these days, they're almost all the colors of the rainbow are now represented in the tropical hibiscus, one of which I posted up there is about as close to black as you can possibly get. Of course, there is no, there are no black flowers. They're typically... Very, very dark, dark purple, that they appear black. Anyway, there's a picture of, of uh, one called Formosa black pearl, which I thought was rather interesting. And speaking of tropical hibiscus, they are getting bigger, the flowers, that is. Uh, I posted a picture of one flower that is 18, inch, it's 18 inches in diameter. That is incredible and beautiful I might add as well and uh, you can expect some of those to be coming on the market all over the next I don't know five 10 15 years uh, most of these are being developed um, in the in the Asian on the Asian continent uh, some on the island of Taiwan and, the, and that's the name of this one called Formosa black pearl um, some of these flowers have five colors in the flower they are not single colors but up to five colors unbelievable what those people are doing with these kinds of things Uh, let's see Keith actually put a couple of postings up there on uh, doing cuttings of begonias and his airplane plant I think some people call them spider plants but uh, it show you what can be done fairly easily with either one of those. If you have those plants and you want to grow more of them, why uh, give us a call here? We'll tell you how that's done. Oh, what else? Um, there's a picture of a landscape close to my house that is consisting of two items one is <coughs> pure white rock, not my favorite landscape cover and one plant and that one plant not just one plant but one species of plant it's a yucca I'm not sure which one it is but it's probably yucca filamentosa or something like that one of the soft leaves yuccas and uh, it's rather interesting looking not my cup of tea but it shows you what can be done um, on a landscape consisting of only rock and one species of plant, you may find that interesting. Um, the picture of my my free red twig dogwood. I call it my free red twig dogwood <coughs> because I didn't plant it. It came in all by itself from where I have no idea, but I recognized it fairly quickly and I thought, "Well, I'll just let that grow and see what happens." Well, as it turns out, it is a reddish yellowish twig dogwood um, that has been moved, all oh, something in the neighborhood of four times. I, every time I move it, I think, nah, I should just throw this out. I'm not a big fan of, of dogwoods in the first place. But I finally put it in a place where it has grown to its normal size and color, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Now I think I'm going to keep it and make one more move, and that will be the final one. There was a note uh, somewhere probably on Facebook about ice plants, and uh, they have that plant has sort of taken the landscape by storm. It's a, these are ground cover plants. They are evergreen. They are not the same ice plants that you see on the west coast on some of the sand dunes and next to the, next to the ocean on the beaches. But it's a relative of that, and these all come from South, South Africa. And uh, they've been in the landscape now for a number of years. Plant Select has introduced a number of them through their program. But I'm finding out, or at least someone has found out, you can eat them. You can eat your ice plants, should you have a <clears throat> mind to do so. So something else you can add to your, your gastronomy. Uh, let's see, what else I put in there? Um, oh, and one of our latest trips to Hawaii... There was growing on the beach, above above tide line, a grass. It's a Bermuda grass, but it is a tight Bermuda grass. I don't know that it grows anywhere over a quarter of an inch tall, forming a solid mass that doesn't ever need to be cut. And, of course, in that climate, you never need to water it either. Uh, It's not hardy. I've tried bringing some of it home, and it doesn't like cold temperature at all but it certainly likes the area on the beach in hawaii and probably several other places in <clears throat> in the uh, pacific ocean area it's not native to hawaii but uh, you find it on any number of places i've seen uh, landscapes that use that particular form of bermuda grass and uh, it's it's something that they plant and uh, it takes over and um Like I said, no watering, and it's so tight that it doesn't allow weeds to get into it. And it's just a remarkable little plant that most people going to the tropics probably don't pay any mind to this sort of thing. But people like me do. Um, There's a picture of a front yard up in Frederick, Colorado, that every year around the holidays, they fill their front yard with pink flamingos. They must have a 100 of them out there. It's not a real big front yard, so this uh, looks like a giant flock of flamingos that just landed in their front yard. Rather interesting looking. I'm thinking of doing that to my front yard too, but then again, maybe not. Oh, let's see. Oh, an interesting thing, hostas. I think we all know what hostas are. Oh, they go by a number of names in the landscape, but I think most people call call these things called hostas. And hostas happens to be the common name <clears throat> and happens to be the, the Latin name for it as well. Uh, and most of them are green leaves with variations of uh, variegation with white splotches or white stripes. Uh, they come in sizes from things from plants that wouldn't even fill your, the palm of your hand to plants that will get up to, oh, four feet tall with giant leaves on them and everything in between. Well, there was a there was one that was introduced a couple of years ago called Raspberry Sunday. And this one is a a smallish hosta, but it differs from all others in that the stems on these are red. And I surmised then that this is a massive breakthrough in hosta breeding. Now it's not much of a plant to look at, and the stems are kind of hidden because the leaves are large enough to hide them, but I surmise that it won't be long before that red color is bred up into the leaves, and sure enough, there's a new one that's been introduced that's called, I have it here, First Blush. I think it's an appropriate name. Uh, It's the first hosta with reddish coloration in the leaves, and I suspect this is only the beginning. Someday, we're going to have red-leaved hostas in our landscape. So s- be prepared to, uh, to buy the first one that you see of that. Oh, let's see. What else here? Um, one of our, in the past had been one of our supporters. I don't know that, there's, that they're advertising with us currently, but I expect to, to, to see them advertise here once spring rolls around. It's called Botanical Interest. It's a seed line that um, I'm trying to think where they're located. It's uh, Louisville or Superior, you know, the southern, southeastern part of, of the Boulder City. Uh, Botanical Interest is the name. And in Hawaii, I happened to run into a garden supply store, and the only seeds that they carry are the Botanical Interest seeds. So what we can grow here in our vegetable gardens can be grown in Hawaii as well. Um, what else do we have here? Um, some interesting posters I happened to see in Hawaii while I was there. Posters of what, you might ask? Probably not the typical things that you go to Hawaii to see, but they do grow a wide, wide range of citrus there. We think of, I sit down and and. Think of all the citrus varieties that you can think of that would include things like, you know, oranges. And we all know that there are many types of oranges out there. Um, mandarins. Um, uh, these, these things that are very popular in the grocery stores these, day, these days called cuties. Um, and and a couple of others. And we'll include lemons and limes there as, as well. Well, this poster must have 100 citrus varieties that that in the past have been grown in Hawaii. And I I know from from my experience that that is just just the top of the list of citrus varieties in the world. There are hundreds of them out there. But there are interesting posters of that. Same thing applies with avocados. Uh, We think of perhaps one avocado in the store that typically don't carry any more than one. Some of the... um, Some of the... I'll call them the Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese grocery stores will often have other avocados as well but uh, there are hundreds of avocado varieties as well most of which never make it into this country Um, mostly because some of them just get too big and others don't ship very well but there are hundreds of those and the same thing applies to bananas um, in hawaii they used to grow lots and lots of varieties of bananas but since uh, those days there's been a disease that's hit the bananas and it just about wiped out the banana industry in hawaii which is unfortunate uh, but they're working on coming up with bananas that are resistant to this bunchy disease It's the name of the disease uh let's see what else here um Interesting plant I happen to see there. Never heard of it before, never seen it before, called Bowtie Plant. It's a purple flower that looks like a bowtie in shape. Um the name of it is Del Aristolochia folia. That's why they call it bowtie instead of that long name. But I had never seen that before. Um and other things too, so check out our Facebook page. It's uh it's the Garden Wives facebook page just type it in there and it should come right up and if you have any questions regarding anything that shows up there why uh, give us a call here at 303-477-2473 as well as if you're a member of facebook there are all kinds of plant groups on there that you can join and you'll get uh, whatever postings come up on those those facebook pages will appear on your facebook page and those are fascinating uh, it's amazing the number of people around the world that are interested in various groups of plants, some of which I have never heard of before, have never seen them before. But there they are, right in front of me on the computer screen. That there are uh, lots of people that are interested in those things throughout the world. So check that out. Become conversant with uh, what else is going on in the plant world around the world. It's a it's a fascinating plant or fascinating place to, to visit. You can spend hours and hours on Facebook just looking at all these pictures coming in of various plants and plant groups and plant people from around the world. Kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, if you want to discuss that or other things, why give us a call here at 303-477-2473. How are your holiday plants looking? Are your poinsettias still alive? Are they showing nice red? Have they dropped all their lower leaves yet? Uh, A common refrain. Have all of your holiday cactus bloomed? Um, And did they bloom on time this year? Or did they bloom early? Or are they blooming late? Have they not bloomed at all? If they haven't bloomed at all, why give us a call? We can discuss what it takes to get those darn things to bloom. Um, Cyclamen, uh, probably not as popular as those other two plants. Uh, They used to be very, very popular. But not so much anymore. Um, I happen to have one left of many that I've had over the years. I just get tired of them and, and, and keep one around and you know get rid of the rest of them. But um, the current one I, I have is a red one, and it's been blooming for over a year now. There's always been some bloom on it, no matter what time of year, and that has never happened before, and I can't tell you why that is. But I, uh, I certainly enjoy having that plant around oh let's see what else do we have going on here um i'm sure you have some things going on give us a call here and let's hear what's going on in your in your yard or on your windowsill have you started plants for the spring um if you're thinking about starting tomatoes and squash and right and what have you stop you may want to get rid of all the ones you've started Cause it's way way too early for those and a number of other vegetable kinds of plants uh, have you planted and sown anything in the way of perennials any seeds um, and give us a call and tell us how you did that and we can discuss whether or not did you do it right uh, can you expect anything that you sowed or uh, let's let's hear what let's, let's hear what you're doing and right now we have Mary who has called in from North Glen, and I'm going to ask Sean if he can to bring up Mary, and he's going to punch the right buttons, and uh, Mary, are you there?
4: Yes, I okay. am. Okay,
1: what what's on your mind this morning?
4: My African violets are dying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with them, all the leaves have gotten just limp, and Falling down. Well, let's
1: talk about that a minute. How long have you been growing African violets?
4: Oh, long time.
1: Okay, and only now. Uh, what, has anything changed? Have you moved them from one place to the other?
4: No. Um, I did.
1: Them. Mm-hmm.
4: I potted them and gave them new dirt and new pots. And
1: okay. Um, did you put them in the same size of pot or did you move them up into bigger pots?
4: No, I put them in the same size of okay. pot.
1: And uh let's talk about uh how you're maintaining them. How are you watering them?
4: Um uh with um wicks.
1: Okay. Um and you've always uh, used the wick on them?
4: Yes, I have.
1: Okay. And um hmm
4: It's funny, I have four of them. One plant is healthy still, but the uh-huh. others are not or just gradually all the leaves are getting limp and well
1: let me ask you about the soil on the ones that are not performing very well is the soil moist or is it uh, really wet i guess
4: it's kind of
1: moist okay i one of the one of the things i've seen over the years is that you can keep the soil of african violets just too wet too long okay and perhaps because you've transplanted them you've disturbed the roots maybe even killed a number of the roots in the process, which usually Uh is okay, they'll grow back. But if the soil is too moist and kept moist just constantly, uh, that can be just too wet, and roots will start dying. And when they start dying, uh, the plant cannot can no longer take up very much water. And the plant responds, of course, if it's not getting water, even though the soil is moist. Uh, the roots are are not taken up because they're they're dying, and of course your leaves will start going limp.
4: Okay.
1: So I would take uh, pay particular attention to the amount of moisture. I'm not a big fan of the wick kind of thing. Uh, I find that um, wicks will bring up water into a pot even if it doesn't have plant growing in it. Of course, the oh. beauty of a wick is it'll bring up moisture almost automatically, and so as the plant uses water, um, you know, more water is brought up through the wick.
4: I see.
1: Um, let me ask another thing: uh, what kind of what kind of pots? Uh, plastic or or ceramic? Clay. Okay, clay. And is there a lot of salt around the the edges of the top edges of the pot?
4: Um, I would put paraffin wax around them, and then I. Uh, also, did a cardboard collar to hold the leaves up. So yeah. Thinking maybe that would help.
1: Um, probably not. Uh, I've never heard about the wax over the, the rim of the plant, right? Or a rim of the pot. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Um, that'll keep the appearance of that white crust away, but it's not stopping the salt from actually being there. Oh. And the problem with wicks is that they constantly bring up water, water evaporates from the top of the pot, the top of the soil, and also because it's a, a clay pot, it gets wicked up into the clay pot as well. And as it evaporates, it forms this crust. Those are the salts that used to be in, dissolved in the water. And that, those salts build up over time and uh one of the recommendations is that when you repot you know you should scrub your pots clean preferably soak them then if you can in a solution of water and vinegar and that vinegar will help dissolve those salts which then you can wash away and start from a start from scratch with a pot that has very little if any salt left in it because the salt levels can get to be a to To a point that the the roots can't can't take that amount of salt.
4: You think it's too late for me to? Do well,
1: that? I don't know. Um, you know, if it were in my house, uh, I, I I sort of treat plants like Doritos. Um, yeah. You know, destroy one, it's okay. They'll make. You know, God makes more. So I'll just go out and get a new uh, another one if I, if I if I if I want to continue growing that plant. But I I would I would take one of those that is not performing well. Knock it out of its pot, and just take a look at the roots, okay are they nice and white? and uh, Of course, you know they're very fine roots, uh, but are there any brown roots or rotting going on in the in the lower reaches of the soil and and if so, then it's probably either a salt and or a water issue okay That's my guess without being there
4: They're pretty old plants
1: yeah, and um you you might start with some new ones. I mean there there is you know I I understand people like to keep plants that that grandma used to have and right. you know and, and that's okay I understand that but there's always newer ones on the market and typically the, the the newer ones are are going to be better plants to begin with
4: Oh well thank you for all this Okay
1: yeah and I and I wish you luck with that but go ahead and knock one of those out knock out the one that looks the worst and just take okay. a look at the roots you can always put pot it back up again.
4: Right, I will do that.
1: All right. All right th- thank you very much, Mary. <laughs> Bye. All right, bye-bye. You too can call with uh, your questions about plants or planting or maintenance of same 303-477-2473 right here on Legends 810.
3: Plants in general are good for the soul, and many studies show people are healthier and happier when surrounded by plants. You will find a nice selection of houseplants and some great pots to add interest to your decor at Jared's Nursery and Garden Center. Houseplants not only add beauty to your living space, they make it healthier by removing toxins and pollutants from the air in your home. Spider plants, philodendron, dracaena, and peace lilies are just some of the common plants that can be great air purifiers. If you're having trouble with existing plants, the staff at Jared's can help you determine the problem and recommend a solution. Maybe the only good thing about COVID is that it resulted in many new gardeners. Jared's has a great selection of seeds, including heirloom and many unusual varieties of flowers and vegetables, tomatoes, peppers, sunflowers, zinnias, and others. Check out their website, jaredsgarden.com, for classes beginning February 5th to help as you plan for spring. Jared's Nursery and Garden Center is located on West Bulls Avenue between Kipling and Sims. Winter hours are nine to five, seven days a week. They thank you for your support in 2021 and look forward to serving you in 2022. Call into The Fix-It Show with your questions about your home Saturday morning at 930 30. Specializing in heating and cooling problems, legendary hosts Deborah and Adam bring decades of experience and award-winning expertise to their live, interactive Fix-It show. Helping your home weather Colorado's unique climate and temperature swings. You have questions, they have answers. Call into the Fix-It show every Saturday morning from 930 to 1030 on Legends.
1: And we are back taking your garden questions at the following phone number, 303. 477-2473 477-2473 I have a note here in front of me from my wife who has noted that a friend of hers uh, was given a amaryllis and this amaryllis came to this person with the bulb encased in wax. And I always wondered, why would someone do that? Well you can take a bulb like that of an amaryllis that's well grown and offered for sale and with the with the the bulb encased in wax and that bulb if you can support it somehow will actually go ahead and bloom without roots now it's not the recommended way of growing an amaryllis especially if you want to keep it after it blooms so if I had one of those I would see if I couldn't peel off all that wax especially off the bottom of the plant because that's where the roots are going to come out or the uh, bottom of the bulb and then pot it up into a a, um, a, a normal sized pot a pot that will accommodate the bulb and plant it so that the shoulders almost up to a half of the bulb is above the soil water it in well and then you can go ahead and then enjoy the bloom and in the meantime it will start rooting out and you will then be left with a true live plant with green leaves and all that after it's done blooming you can then hold on to that if you want Uh, give it plenty of light over the following year because it's probably going to take that long for the bulb to build up enough energy to bloom again but only if you give it enough light and you fertilize it on a regular basis and you can have one next year as well probably about the same time it they they vary on their second bloom of what time of year they're going to bloom but it's going to take quite a while for it to to build up the energy to to bloom again Uh, in the meantime you may find that uh, there are new little leaves that sprout around the bulb these are new plantlets that are being formed Uh, tiny bulbs that are still attached to the mother bulb and um, they will eventually form their own roots. At which time you can separate them from the mother bulb and grow yet another amaryllis. Now this new one's going to take two or three years before it gets up to the size where you're going to be able to expect a bloom off of it. But uh, going back to the to the origins here, if you have one of those in wax and you want to enjoy the bloom and then just throw it out, you can do that too. But if you're like most of us, you want to keep everything alive as, you, as much as possible. So uh, uh, consider taking the wax off, especially off where the roots are going to come out from the bottom of the bulb. And it'll be much happier for that. It's probably not going to bloom any better because it has everything it needs within that bulb to go ahead and bloom uh, with the biggest blooms possible for the size of the bulb. But next year, um, you may get even a bigger bloom. You might get several stems coming up out of one bulb. That has happened too. Up to I've seen up to 3 stems coming out of a bulb, each one of which will have oh anywhere from uh, 2 to to 5 blossoms. And that's uh, that's something that can be done in in on your windowsill if you want to do that. All right, any other questions, why give us a call here at 303-477-2473. There is nobody waiting. As soon as you uh, make the phone call, you will appear right in front of me on the screen, and I will go out to you and we can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Did you get any holiday plant gifts? I'd like to know what those are. Anything unusual? Uh, every year, if you look around in, in garden centers, you will find that they, they bring in some unusual things, things that aren't normally there. Um, House plants uh house plants are big across the nation right now probably due to the covid thing and people staying home uh they want to start playing around with some plants because they got the time to do it and so um you can find some interesting things in in greenhouses um a lot of different things from year to year new things are being brought on the market all the time um uh, two plants that uh, both Keith and I have become interested in are, are these things called alocasias or colocasias. Now, the colocasia is maybe the more common of the two. Uh, that's just a name that says it's a, a big bulb that, uh, that typically grows these elephant ear leaves. Really quite easy to grow. One of which um, you I think everybody has heard of this thing, this plant called taro, which is a Pacific Ocean island kind of a plant. Um, it's one of these plants they call a canoe plant in Hawaii. That is, it was brought into the Hawaiian Islands from the South, other South Pacific islands on the canoes, and uh, they were planted. And it's a, it's one of these plants that they that provides a food source uh they actually the the bulbs can actually be be eaten. And the, one of the foods coming from that is called poi. I think most of us have heard of that as well. So you can grow your own poi if you want to. And while you're doing that you can grow other colacasias that are not used for, for food stuff, although I wonder if they could be. But um so grow some grow some food on your windowsill. Oh, and by the way, you better have a big windowsill. These these leaves get to be quite large. Some of them are the size of elephant ears. They are really large, large, large uh, leaves for a bulb plant. And one of the interesting things about it is that you can grow them outside in the summertime. And when uh, winter starts rolling around, late fall, temperatures start dropping, you can cut all the leaves off, uh, pull the bulb up out of the soil and store it dry in a cool, dark place. And it'll be ready to go next spring when you can plant it back up again. In that regard, it's very much like a dahlia or gladiolus that you typically dig up in the fall and store them over the winter. But if you haven't uh, grown any colocasias, think about that. They'll look them up online, Colichesia. Um There are tons of them out there. Some of them have some absolutely gorgeous leaves. Green is the usual color. Uh, but having said that, some of the leaves are... Different shapes, different shades of green. Some are very dark. Uh, There are those out there that are, for all intents and purposes, are black. Um, Some leaves have variegations in them. Um, Really quite attractive things. Probably more attractive if, if you lived in Hawaii. But you can have a little piece of the South Pacific Islands in your house and outside in your landscapes in the summertime. It's pretty easy to do. So think about doing that sort of thing. And if you've tried any else, other kinds of things, any other kinds of tropical plants that you have to bring in in the fall, uh, I'd like to hear out how they're performing for you and have you grown them for a long time? And what is it that you're growing? Uh, hibiscus is a, is a typical kind of a plant that people will, will bring indoors. Um, what else? Um, rubber trees. Um, and some of those rubber tree plants will have leaves that are really quite small. Others are really quite large. And everything in between, different colors, shades of green, uh, reds, and yellows you can have in in some of those tropical plants. Um, So give me a call here. I'd like to know what it is that you're growing. I hope it's growing something different than what you did, you know, 10 years ago. But if not, we can talk about those as well. As everyone knows, there was a massive fire up in the Boulder area. Over the past week and a half, and uh, for what they know so far, these these fires started in grasslands. Don't know yet how they got started, but in a way, it's kind of moot in that I think we're dealing with grasslands here that have not been treated, have not been cut, um, these are, and and have not burned. For many a decade, uh, what people probably don't know that most of our grasslands here in the, you know, everything in the low elevations east of the foothills, uh, is is prairie is, is, is high elevation grasslands. And typically, those grasslands used to burn on a regular basis. Now we understand that the, uh, that the native people used to start some of those fires on purpose, but even if they didn't other or other means of starting fires typically from from lightning strikes will start fires and our prairies here in the eastern part of colorado used to burn on a regular basis every uh, as much as every 2 or 3 years when they would burn and if they don't burn they start building up a lot of old grass that's been matted down and uh, and creates a real fire hazard as as we see what happened in the boulder area now, don't know again how they got started. Might might have been man-made, um, you know, and probably was. But we'll find that out later, I'm sure. But in any event, we're going to be back left with uh, after the building commences that that uh, uh, we're going to be left with other grasslands. Um, and now, what are we going? How are we going to treat them, um, and to to lessen the the chance of other fires taking off in other places? And one of the methods of doing that is a method called prescribed burning. Under certain uh, precise conditions, those grasslands can be burned on purpose to keep down the the amount of organic matter that is available for uh, a terrific fire that may occur later on. Because it probably will. It's just a matter of time. So if you want to discuss those kinds of things, I'd be happy to do that as well. So give us a call here at 303 477 2473 and uh, if you call right now we'll probably have to hold you over the top of the hour and uh, we can discuss it then and after the top of the hour by the way we're going to have a call in or we're scheduled to have call in from Panayoti Caledese from the Denver Botanic Gardens to discuss a a Zoom meeting that's coming up. So um, stay tuned, don't go anywhere, come on back here, we'll be back here pretty quick, right after this on Legends A10.